We're in a series in Second uh, Corinthians, and if you have your Bibles there and you want to turn with me to Second Corinthians chapter 5, that's where we'll be today. You know, when I was a kid, uh, when I was a kid, we used to play a lot of games out in, in our neighborhood. Uh, we moved in in 1960, my parents, 65, my parents knew, moved to a brand new neighborhood um, on the east side of town. Uh, when we thought it was so far out there, uh, we, were, we were two miles past the, light, the last street light out in the middle of nowhere. When you went past that last street light, it was just black going east on Speedway. And it was a, uh, a just a little two-lane road and, uh, in 1965. But we had this three-street neighborhood that was out there, new development on the edge of town. And uh, it is now like Midtown, practically. <laughs> it's grown up so much faster. But, uh, but we had a lot of fun. We played games, and a lot of young families, a lot of kids there, and we would play games. And, and one of the things we would do with each other fairly frequently is we would do do-overs. Anybody ever played a game and got a do-over? I mean, if you had friends, you got a do-over. If you didn't, you were just really stuck. Uh, they, they just, you know, but, but friends would give you a do-over. You know, a do-over is when you, you didn't mean to swing at that last pitch, but you did anyway. And uh, rather than put you out, they would say, okay, well, that's do-over. We'll do a do-over. And, and so we do that. Or uh, I was running and I tripped and fell and I missed getting to where I was supposed to be in time. And well, we'll do a do-over um, or something like that. You know, we, we did a lot of do-overs with each other. And I've thought back on that a lot, and I think we continue to do that. I, I think now as I've gotten older, um, I do mulligans. I'm a golfer, and so every golfer knows about mulligans. Mulligans are a golfer's favorite friend. And, uh, and, and if you're playing with friends, and they, they are very generous, they'll give you all kinds of mulligans, but I always kind of get a mulligan, so that's good. And, and so we kind of live that way. And, I, and as I've thought about those things through the years, I've come to the conclusion that everybody needs a do-over. Everybody needs a do-over. There's not a single one of us that doesn't need a do-over, right? Isn't that a good thing? That's a good thing. I, I, that's a good thing. Yeah, everybody needs a do-over. And that's a pretty easy thing to do. Everybody needs a do-over, and, and, and that's a great thing. And, that, and, and you know, that, that's what God does for us. You understand that? God gives us... Do-overs. God gives us an opportunity to be something different. God gives us an opportunity to say, you know, all that, all that stuff, all that yuck, all those stupid things I've ever done, all those, you know, whatever you want to call them, all the S-words you could call them, all of that stuff, God gives us a do-over. God gives us a do-over. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Paul is talking about the ministry that he's been given. And, and I, you know, I, I suppose he's using much better language when he says reconciliation. I mean, that, that sounds better. But, but I kind of like do-overs. And so every time you hear reconciliation, just think about God's giving you a do-over. Let me, let me read that passage of Scripture to you. Beginning at verse 11 of chapter 5. It says, Since then we know that what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. 
We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our minds, it's for the sake of God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels us. We've experienced something with God so much that it compels us to tell you the truth of this message. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for him, for them and who was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one in a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. Now, they say they, they saw Christ in one way when they were, before they were saved. They see Christ in a whole other way now. It says, though we once regard, we do not do so any longer. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. That, that's a do-over. That's a big do-over. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was not God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them as he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's a do-over. The old is gone and the new has come. We are new creatures in Christ. It is a whole other life that we live. Is that good? You guys are kind of quiet. Is that good? That, That is a good thing, right? Okay, yeah, that's great, yeah. So if it's so good, why doesn't everybody just jump after it? That's my question. If this is such a good deal, why doesn't everybody just jump after it? And I think there's a couple of reasons why. The basic reason is it's us. The problem is us. See, the problem is us is that we either think so highly of ourselves that we don't think we need it, Right? I don't need that. I'm as good as anybody else. I don't need that stuff. I don't need that stuff. Or we think so lowly of ourselves that we could never imagine God being willing or interested in giving us a do-over. Right? I mean, we, we tend to go one way or the other. And here, here's just the reality. Think, think about the person that is the most saintly person that you can imagine. Who is that person that you just think, oh my goodness, this is the greatest example of faithfulness and goodness and service and distinguished service and who, oh, I, oh sorry, that sounded like somebody I know. Think about, think about, I, I love, I love what Skip Rutledge said about Norma and I, I'm just going to brag on her. I, I, I love his words. He says, Norma is my hero. If there's somebody, he said, you know, in our tradition, we don't really saint, what do they call it, make you a saint? I don't know what that is. Canonize. There you go. Thank you. I needed that word. We don't really, we don't canonize. He didn't use that word, but we don't canonize really in our tradition. But, but if we did, Norma would be in line for that. She's, she's my saint. Mine too. 
But this is what I know about Norma. This is what I know about Norma. As great as Norma is, as faithful as she is, as much of a prayer warrior as she is, as much as she is one who will live out her faith and share her faith with anybody and everybody, even if they don't want to hear it, she's willing to share it anyway. And, and she's the one who keeps on going. The Brian's story in the other room, the Brian's story about Norma was this, is that she had a, she had a big dinner for a lot of these ladies who had experienced domestic violence and were trying to get out of it. And she would gather them together for prayer and for lunches and things like that. And, and Norma was there and she was walking around. Brian came in. Brian Fry, by the way, was on staff with me in Payson, Arizona. He was my youth pastor over there. And, uh, and Norma came, was walking through the room with a towel draped across her arm and like kind of like a little waiter serving everybody coffee and doing all that kind of stuff. And Brian came up to Norma and said, what's going on with that? What's the deal with the towel thing? What are you doing with that? I mean, it's kind of like, he's like, I don't know. I didn't even know that the lunch was going on. He said, he went over there and, and Norma lifted up the towel and she had burned her arm in, in preparing the lunch and her arm was just a blistery mess on her arm, and she had the towel draped over her arm to to not let anybody see it and be able to continue to serve these ladies their lunch. And Brian said in, the, in his presentation over there, he said, I will never forget that. It is the epitome for him of what it means to do service for others above yourself. And, and you know, as, as much as, I, I mean, I love that story. I'd, actually, I'd never heard that story yet. <laughs> But as much as, as that is incredible to me about the service that she does, about her heart for other people, about her love for God, her prayer life, and all the rest of that, if you asked Norma and you asked her and said, what is it going to take for me when I stand before God on that last day? What is it going to take for me? You know what she's going to talk about? It's not going to be how much she served others. It's not going to be about how much she prayed. It's not going to be about how many people she led to the Lord. It's not going to be about any of those things. She's just going to have one thing that she talks about. And it's only one thing that will make the difference for her. And it's only one thing that will make the difference for us. She's just going to say, Jesus Christ took my place. You see, as good as any of us are, And I'm going to be so bold, and I don't mean to offend you, but not a single one of you are as close to heaven and God as my wife is. Now, I know I'm prejudiced about that, and you can can come up to me. Any of you husbands can come up to me and talk to me about that later, but I'm just telling you, I don't know anybody more saintly than my wife. And even my wife would say, I am not enough to stand before God without Jesus Christ standing before me. As much as we may say, oh, I'm as good as the next guy. No, you're not. I'm sorry. I don't want to burst your bubble. You're not. You may be a nice person, but being a nice person isn't enough. It isn't enough. You see, only Jesus Christ is enough. That's what Norma would say. And she almost walks on water. She doesn't. It would have to be a very shallow pool. But You see, the flip side of that is we feel so rotten. Thanks, Pastor. Now I really feel bad, right? (laughs) 
flip side of that is we feel so bad about who we are, we say, oh, I could never be like Norma. That we say, how could God be interested in someone like me? And that's just as bad, folks. Because I think about who are, who are the people in the Bible who, who just really kind of blew it? I, I think about people like, like Peter. Peter's, Peter's, you know, there, I'm the guy. I'm the guy. I'm the head disciple. I'm, I'm all the way for you. I'll never deny you. I'll never turn back from following you. I'm the guy all the way. And just hours later, here's Peter denying Christ three times. You know, and sometimes we function like that. I don't want to say anything about my faith. I don't want to say anything about following Jesus because what if I blow it? I've known people like that. I don't want to, I don't want to openly say I'm a Christ follower because what if I blow it? What if something comes out of my mouth? Or what if I do something not very nice? Or what happens? And, and, and so we don't, want to, we don't want to make a public statement for fear we're going to blow it. And tell you what, you are going to blow it. Peter blew it. But Jesus wasn't done with Peter. Guess what he got? He got a do-over. He, he got a do I, I, I love these things. I've been waiting for a way to use these things. But that was easy. He got a do-over. Jesus came to him and said, Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, I've got a place for you. I'm not done with you. Quit sulking. Quit going back. You know, Peter went right back to his old life. I guess I'll just go fishing again. Peter went right back to the old stuff. Jesus said, hey, don't go back to the old way of life. Don't go back to that old stuff. I'm not done with you. Come on. What about the thief on the cross? Now, we don't know exactly what was going on. One of the the passages of Scripture tells us that the thief on the cross was a robber. We don't know, but whatever he robbed, it was enough that he was nailed to a cross. And there he's nailed to a cross, and I'm just figuring, you've got to be pretty bad to be nailed to the cross, or Jesus, one or the other, so it goes one way or the other. <laughs> you've got to be fairly bad to be nailed to a cross. And, and, and here's this guy who is probably somebody we would not want to associate, somebody that would just like, ah, oh, I'm scared to be around you. And he's saying to Jesus, Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus says to this guy who's nailed to a cross right beside him, who is a criminal, been convicted, charged and convicted, and hanging on a cross, today you will be with me in paradise. And I think, you know what? It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. You will never be good enough to stand before God on your own. I don't care how good you are. You will never be good enough to stand before God on your own. And there is no low place that you can go to that God can't reach either. You understand that? It goes both ways. You see, he gives you a do-over. He gives us all do-overs. An opportunity for us to be reconciled with God. It's a do-over. And that's a good thing. That's an amazing kind of thing. Well, my, my question then, we have to kind of think about is, well, how does that work? If God's going to give us a do-over, how does that work? When, when I know I have this gap between me and God, and, and, you know, here's Norma, and we're all below Norma. Let me just say this. I'm below Norma. You're below Norma. We're all below Norma. And here's God. What's going to fill the gap? Well, Jesus Christ fills the gap. 
Paul tells us some great passages of Scripture that, that point us to that explanation of what God is doing. In verse 19, Paul tells us that this message of reconciliation is that God, through Jesus Christ, is not counting our sins against us. You understand? He's not counting our sins. Anybody have sin in, in your life? We all do. Okay? We, 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 we are sinful people by our very nature. And the scripture tells us that God is not counting, through Jesus Christ, God is not counting our sins against us. Now, you have to understand, this doesn't mean that God is not counting sin. You understand? Sin is still important to God. Sin is still things that, that drive him crazy. God would not be a holy God if he did not count sin. You understand the nature of that? If sin is okay, then you're not a holy God. We, we want God to be, oh, God doesn't care about all that stuff. He just loves you, right? But God cares about sin. If he didn't care about sin, he would not be a holy God. The issue is that he does not count our sins against us. Well, how does that work? Well, he tells us a little bit more about how that works. Verse 21. Verse 21 tells us that, that God made him who knew no sin. That is Jesus Christ. Talking about Jesus Christ here. Who knew no sin. Jesus Christ is God come to earth without sin. Pure, holy, without sin. Walked among us. Tempted in every way as we are. Yet without sin, the scripture tells us. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Listen to this. That we might become the righteousness of God. That's an amazing truth, folks. God is not ignoring sin. It is that God has a loving plan to deal with sin. And it's called Jesus Christ on a cross for us. Verse 14 says, We are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. See, Jesus took our place. Jesus took our place so that we might have a do-over. Is that good? That maybe needs one more of these. It wasn't easy. But it is easy for us. See, but the question is this. What is the difference between knowing that and living that? What is the difference between knowing that Jesus paid our price, that, that Jesus became sin on our behalf, that Jesus was not through, that God through Jesus Christ was not counting our sins against us? I mean, you can intellectually know that. You can read your theology book. You can follow all that place. You, you can say, oh, yeah, I, I get it. I know it. 
But what is the difference between knowing that and experiencing that? What's the difference? Scripture tells us that there's just two little things that make all the difference. Believing and confessing. Believing and confessing. That, that's what makes all the difference. Because I can know all kinds of stuff. I can even believe all kinds of stuff. But Scripture tells us if you believe in your heart and confess with your lips, you shall be saved. You shall have a, in my revised paraphrased version, you shall have a do-over. See, it's just, do you believe that, that Jesus came from God, is God himself, that he walked among us, that he lived and died, suffered, crucified, dead, and raised again? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? The second part of that is, are you willing to confess him as Lord? Now, here's the two parts. Here's the two parts. One is the confessing. One is to say, are you willing to say that publicly? Are you willing, not just to believe, because some people believe in their hearts. Again, one time, I believe in my heart, but I don't want to say it out loud. <laughs> are you willing to say it out loud? I believe this in my heart, and I'm willing to say it out loud. I believe this stuff. And the way we say we believe this stuff is by saying, you are Lord of my life. Now, now being Lord means something, too. How many of you would like to be like Norma? You don't have to raise your hand to that either. But Sorry, I put everybody on the spot. I'd like to be like Norma. But you know, you don't get to be like Norma by accident. You don't write it on a piece of paper, slip it under your pillow at night and say, Oh Lord, make me like Norma. Or better yet, I'd like to be like Jesus. Let's just be honest. You don't get there by slipping that under. You put your Bible under your pillow at night and hope it all happens. That the, uh, the Jesus fairy is going to come and somehow take away everything and give you some premium. And premium, I'm sorry. Started, my mind went smashed into Spanish. <laughs> Doesn't happen. But this is what happens in verse 15. Verse 15 said, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. That, that, is, the, that is the difference maker. The difference maker is that I believe this stuff. And I'm willing to confess that I believe this stuff. And on top of that, confess the fact that he is Lord of my life. Now, now being Lord of my life means something. It, it means that, that his priorities go over top of my priorities. That his desires go over top of my desires. That, that his stuff goes in front of my stuff. That, that he goes first in all things. It is what Norma said about Ephesians. That we are to the glory and praise of God. And that's how we choose to live. 
We say, God, I can't do that on my own. But I confess that I believe in you. And I choose to say that you are my Lord and I'm going to follow that path. Years ago, Norma has told this story. You've heard her. That as a young lady, she said, I would hear the women in my church pray. And they would pray with passion and power and commitment and belief. And God worked mighty things through their lives and through their prayers. And she said, as a young lady, as a young woman, she said, I did not see how I could ever be that person. And now, I won't say how many years later, she sits here and we have people that look and say, well, that's good, but I could never be like that. You can't. But God can in you. And when we live day by day saying, I believe in you, you are the Lord of my life. We live within his reconciliation, within his do-over that he gives to us. And we live that way, not just in a moment, but every day. Every day we say, God, I believe in you. God, I can't do it without you, but God, I'm going your way. I'm going to choose to make you Lord of my life, Lord of everything that I am. And day by day, month by month, Year by year, God begins to shape us and mold us and develop within us the character of God. We're celebrating a lady today, one of my favorites. But it really is just an opportunity to invite you into an intimate relationship with God that starts with do-overs and is lived day by day by a commitment to say you are Lord of my life. Is that what you need? Is that what you want? What I want? We're going to pray and uh, you need a do-over today? You need a do-over, something where you just say, God, I need a fresh start. He's ready to give it to you. Would you pray with me? Father, It's just a bunch of stories, really. We, we read stories about a faithful lady who lives as uh, an example. But really, it's about you. It's about you. Lord, as I just read a little further beyond chapter 5, and 
I roll into chapter 6 and Paul's saying to the Corinthians, today, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of do-overs. Lord, would you speak to our hearts today? Lord, I know most everybody in this room rejoices in a do-over. But Lord, there may be some, perhaps just one, that needs a do-over today. Would you speak to their hearts? It's easy. (laughs) Now that's easy. I just believe and confess. Lord, I don't have to be perfect and I don't have to get my life together. I don't have to figure out all the details of theology. I don't have to figure it all out. I just have to know that I need it (laughs) and I believe it. And I don't care who knows. I want to say that Christ is my do-over. Their heads bowed and their eyes closed. I just want to invite you to that. If you're here today and and you need a do-over like that, I don't want to pass this scripture by without inviting you to respond to that. Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. Sometimes we just need do-overs pretty regularly. And some of you are saying that. Father, I pray for every single person in this room, those that raised their hands and those that didn't. Lord, there's not a one of us good enough to stand before you without you standing in front of us. And Lord, there's nobody so low. There's nothing that we could ever do that would separate us from your ability to reach down and say, hey, I'm not done with you. Come on. We're in this together. I don't understand that, but that is amazing grace. Lord, many raised their hands today. Would you minister to them? Would you forgive? Assure them of fresh darts, of newness of life. Lord, bless them. Encourage them. And have your hand upon them. You love them. And you're the one that just says, now that's easy. I can do that. That's that's the voice of God. That's easy. Come on. We go together. For you are Lord. And we confess it with all our hearts. In Jesus' name.